Thanks, Mark. And uh, it really is a, a joy to be here. It's a joy to do um, what I do. This is my my job uh, to be able to work with groups of pastors and people to really help display uh, what it looks like for the unified church. We call it you know, just kind of the big C church, all of us who make up uh, the body of Christ, uh, to put that on display in front of our community. Just kind of with this this belief deep within us that that every community is better if it operates under the principles and, and direction of God, that he wants what's best for people. And so when his people begin working in a community, that's better for everybody. And, uh, and so Love the Rock's been uh, incredibly uh, fulfilling to be able to work with. This is part of what I do uh, for my job. And I'm, I'm in Round Rock a lot. Like I have a Round Rock day now, you know, where I just kind of uh, come and, uh, and hang out up here. And it's been a lot of fun uh, to be able to do that for the last four years. And I just want to take a moment to, um, to really say thank you to you guys uh, to, to brag on uh, your pastor a little bit and really on the congregation that even allows him to do what he does, uh, which is the amount of time and energy and resources that you guys have spent literally on this community. And, and just what I tell people is, because uh, I, I believe it's true, that, that you could have chosen to invest that on yourselves, that money, that time, that energy, and maybe been a little bit bigger or had a little bit nicer stuff or a little bit better you know, flooring or whatever it is, a little nicer paint on the walls or different kind of buildings, but, but instead you've chosen to pour that out in the community. And the results truly have not just shaped this community, but they continue to spread to communities all around and to cities all around this country. I know it might sound crazy because you just live in it all the time, but I want you to see or just to hear the truth of the fact that when you know, my boss goes to Cincinnati and starts talking about what's going on in our city. The room just kind of stops and people say, what? Like, you did what with who and how? They're, they're all working together? Like, how did you do that is the question that we hear in city after city after city. And it's because of what you guys have done and the investment that you've made. Round Rock is one of really the only cities. There's very few cities in this country where the church is matching the population meaning that the number of people that go to church is keeping up with the growth in this community, right? That's a huge, huge feat, especially for a community. I don't know if you heard this, but Round Rock's a fast-growing city, and uh, there's a lot of people coming in, right? And so, uh, yeah, you'd love to win those awards every year, right? Like, fastest-growing city, yay. Um, but, but it's keeping up, and that means that a lot of people are coming not just to this church, but to the dozens of churches that are working together to reach out, the, the multiple church plants that come into this area and get encouraged and rooted on from day one, it truly is um, a special place. And, and uh, we're thankful to you guys because you do. You lead out. You lead the way in your time and your influence and your money. Uh, and we appreciate that because it wouldn't be possible without congregations like this who really get behind it. And so thank you guys because when we think about something like Love the Rock, where it is, this, it's the unity of the church on display. Right. And, and so that when people think church, maybe they have a little different mindset than they grew up with or than they see on TV or their Facebook feed rolls through. That when people here think church, they think, oh, those are the people who help. Those are the people who love. Those are the people who care. Right. That's that's what Love the Rock does in a one day thing. And it's it's true. Like it's it's making that difference. Again, you guys don't get to go to the meetings I go to. We're at City Hall. Uh, we're in a planning meeting just talking about Love the Rock with all the city officials, and they make sure to take time to say, now, this first part, we're going to pray for people, right? Yeah, we're going to start out pray for people. Okay, and we're going to be able, and we're going to pray for people here. Like, these aren't believers, 
But they're, they're recognizing the value of the church interacting in people's lives. And so we're setting aside time. We're like, yeah, we're going to have a prayer time here. And yeah, we're going to ask people if we can pray for them here. And, and it's just going on to where people realize, yeah, the church is a valuable part of our community. And we want to give them access into the lives of our residents because that's good for our residents. That conversation doesn't happen uh, even across this area, much less across this country right now. And part of that is because we've been able to put this unity on display for folks to see who the church is. And, and in biblical terms, as you kind of read about this, that idea is really what the Bible talks about when it says the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God might be present and visible in an area. Because it's really easy for us to think that the kingdom of God is something that happens in heaven when we die. Right? That we're all going to God's kingdom. But we, we sang it. You guys sang the message today, by the way. It was, it was really cool to see how that works. I love when that happens. That, that, that he loved us too much. Right? That he brought heaven down to earth. That's what Jesus said. And I wanted to start off with a couple of passages that kind of highlight that today. As we think about... Uh, what it looks like to be a part of building God's kingdom and what role we play, not just for a day like Love the Rock, which is huge, but then all of the other days of the year where God has called each and every one of us to be about building his kingdom. All right, so let's look at this first story. It's really uh, just one that kind of highlights this idea that was very new for the people of the day. It's in Matthew 22, verse 15 to 21. And so we'll just go through this uh, pretty quickly. As we see what Jesus said, it says the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, just people who were studied uh, in the law. And they said, teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. And anytime someone leads with all this kind of flattery, just take a step back and be careful, right? Um, So they're just building them up. So tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? So just to bring this into like today's world, basically this is folks who are studying the law, who they come, they want to trap Jesus in his words. So they offer him, they kind of toss up this highly divisive political issue. All right. That's what this is. This tax to Caesar is a highly divisive political issue. Like people have literally started rebellions against the government where people die in the streets over issues like this. Okay. Highly divisive at the time. And so they're saying, well, what do you think, Jesus? Right. And, and it may or may not feel like you walking into work some days in today's political climate where people want to lob you these issues to say, so what do you think about this political thing? What do you think about this political person? What do you think about this cause? And it can feel sometimes probably like you're walking around landmines, which is totally what this was for Jesus. They want to just throw out a field of landmines and say, go ahead, Jesus, step on one. Make somebody angry. You're going to make the government angry if you say one thing. You're going to make all the people angry if you say another thing. There's no good step here, Jesus, right? This is why it's cool to be Jesus. Uh, Because you know the heart of the people and you're incredibly smart. Uh, And so he says, knowing their evil intent, verse 18, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And so they brought him a denarius and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And after that, he didn't get asked quite as many questions um, in these public settings. Every time they tried, he would trap. But I tell you, one of the reasons was because he just didn't engage in their conversation, right? I mean, he totally avoided the big topic, which was uh, the political situation of the day. But what he did was even so much uh, better than that. He used this 
to illustrate a truth that he had been preaching from day one. Really that his cousin John the Baptist had been preaching even before then. And that was this. We see it in just a, a small passage in Matthew 4.17 where Jesus said when he started his ministry, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was a, a, a constant theme. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's at hand. It's among us. And so what he's saying here is like, look, who, who built that kingdom that created that money that has all these laws and built all these rules? Oh, it was these guys. All right, well, fine. You're going to have to do what's necessary for these guys. We live in a real world with real governments and real messes and real money. I mean, most of us like to live indoors and wear clothes and eat food. And that requires you have a job and you pay your bills. and You do all those things like there's a real kingdom at work here. And he says, fine, it has its own requirements. Feel free to meet those. But there's another kingdom. Give to God what is God's. Now, the truth is, it's all God's, right? Uh, but what he's, what he's illustrating here, too, is like there's another kingdom being built here, guys, and you don't see it. And so I'm not nearly as concerned about what the people who are building their earthly kingdom do and don't do as I am with what is happening in God's kingdom. Because you don't see it, he might say to them, but this kingdom is just going to overwhelm the one that you've all created. It's going to overtake. It's, it's without rival. It's without equal, right? That the kingdom that God is building. And, and so when you use that word repent, it's really interesting because so many times we think of that in a sin correlation of like, well, stop doing the bad things and do the good things. And certainly it has that, that meaning. But the word is, is better than that. The word is really stop looking where you are, turn, find God, and look at him, Right? It's turn from the direction you're facing, find God, and focus on Him. That's repent, to, to turn the direction of where, of where we're facing and face God. Wherever we started, and we all start in different places, stop, turn, find God, and focus on Him. So when you say repent, for the kingdom of, of heaven is near, then you realize he's, he's asking us, take your eyes off of this world and all the maybe mess or stuff that you're caught up in. Turn and find God and focus on His kingdom. Turn your attention towards him because you have a role in building that kingdom. And that's the incredibly awesome opportunity that comes to us from the New Testament from joining with God is that we are now a part of building his kingdom on earth. It's not just wait until you die and experience it. It's the kingdom starts now. It's right here among us. So I don't know about you guys, but the fact is when I wake up in the morning that's not necessarily what I see. It's not what I see on Facebook. It's not what I see on the news. It's not what I see when I go into the office even. And I work in a really cool office with only a few people. But it's messy, right? It's messy was what I see right now. And it doesn't look like God's in control. And it doesn't look like his kingdom is winning. And it doesn't look like all these things. And so we can sometimes wonder, like, what is actually going on? What is our place in this? What is actually possible? And I want to just kind of walk through something that God's really been pouring into my life uh, over the last few years. When I only preach here every two years, you guys have to hear a whole lot of God work in me, you know. So I'll try to get through it all in this next 20 minutes. Uh, but, but this is something that God's just kind of been pouring into to my heart and my life over the last few years around how he built his kingdom and how he uses our work to do that. Because work is what most of us do most of our time. Agreed? I mean, if you're kind of of a working age, I don't know when you guys started, maybe 14 to 16, depending on how just kind of go-get-it you are, maybe younger than that with your own little mowing company or something. But work is what we do. 
And, and work could be all kinds of things. If you think about your vocation, right? I mean, for a lot of years, my vocation was taking care of my kids. Uh, for the first parts of their life, that just made the most sense for our family, and so I got to spend a lot of time with them. I loved that. Um, I wish everybody could do it. Not everybody can, but it was my vocation at the time. And so whatever it is, to realize that God uses that to build his kingdom. That became life-changing to me. And I want to walk through something that somebody shared with me. It was a, it was a CEO of a company here in town that their business builds uh, wireless uh, Internet access for people who travel in big trailers, right? So anybody who travel, trailer people, you guys go around. That's my parents now. That's what they do. Uh, and so they go to these places all across the country. They'll pull their little trailer in, and then they want Wi-Fi. And guess what? It's there. Magically, they can get onto the Internet. Well, that's because of guys like this guy. That's his business. And so he started asking himself the question as he really started pursuing Christ. He's like, does this even matter? Like, where is the eternal consequence in me providing Internet access to people who are traveling across the country? Like, what role am I playing in God's kingdom? Because the message he heard, sadly, so many times when he came into church was the role he played was to write checks for people who were doing work for God, to write checks to support things maybe at his church. Um, maybe to maybe if he was really going to get all in to sell his business and then and then move and be like a missionary or a pastor or something. But he said as he struggled in his own personal life, more and more he realized, no, like I was called to start this company. I'm good at it. <laughs> like I was gifted to start this company. And I have all these employees now and we're all these cities. And, and I, I really believe this is what I'm supposed to do. So how do I do this as part of God's kingdom? And he started on a journey that then became a journey I've been traveling on, too, to say, what is the purpose of work and what is its place in our life and in our community and in God's kingdom? So I want to walk you guys through that real quick. We're just going to start in Genesis and end in Revelation. And we'll get there in about, about 10 minutes, okay? So I don't expect you to follow along, uh, but that's where we're going real quick. Uh, and, and we're going to go with it like this. There's four parts, four big parts to the Bible, okay? It starts in Genesis with something we call creation, all right? And if we look at creation through a work filter, then what we learn is this. Creation teaches us work is good. Work is good. Because work existed in the very beginning when everything was good, right? As soon as God comes onto the scene, what's the first thing he reveals to us about himself? It's that he's a working God. All the words that they use there, he, he built, he orchestrated, he divided, he, he uh, set times for, all these things. He, he was doing work. These are all the things that we would describe our work with. We organize, we we separate, we align, we do all these things. Well, yeah, that's, that's work. He comes onto the scene and he says, you know who I am? I'm a worker. I'm a worker, a working God. And he did that. And then he created man in his own image. So it shouldn't be a shock to us that of the two things he told, one was make more humans. That's another series that Mark can teach later. And the other is uh, work, right? Work. Take care of the garden. To uh, cultivate it. Much deeper word than just rake and pick leaves like there was a there was a purpose there that was about more than just making sure the trees grow but cultivate it create a civilization from it you can almost see creation as god's like capital investment in humanity saying you have everything you need now go and create and so work is good that's what we see i think that's important for us sometimes because our culture really doesn't speak that message it almost says work is awful and so try to take as much out of it as you can, as fast as you can, so that you can stop doing it as soon as you can, so that you can start really living. This, this wonderland that we created called retirement. 
um, which I'm not sure anybody actually experiences except the people on the TV um, that have their green line right and it has the right number on it and then they hit that magic time where life, I guess, is all about me again. I don't know if that's, is that really what it's all about? Is for me to get the most joy for me, no matter who I have to take it from. But that's the way we see work, right? I'm going to, either my, my employer's going to take advantage of me or I'm going to find a way to take advantage of him. One of us is going to win. One of us is going to lose. So try to win as much as you can, as fast as you can, so that you can just get out of that game as soon as you can, right? But that wasn't how work was established. Work was good. And I just want to have you think about something as we kind of try to get into that headspace of how work can be good. And just think back to the last thing that you did that was hard, but you did it and you did it well. And just think about it. I mean, even just as I say the words, it's like a... A breath of fresh air kind of enters me of like a hard job well done is one of the most rewarding things that I've experienced, especially if someone I deeply respect comes to me at the end and says, good job, well done. I hear at the end of that phrase, good and faithful servant, like well done. Man, there's something there that no vacation I've been on has ever given me, right? No, no entertainment, no movie has ever filled me with like a hard job well done and then praised by somebody who i respect man that is good and if you look back on creation and you hear after god worked every day what did he say at the end of every day it was good sure what he created was good but the process was good he did a to him hard i mean i don't know he works different than us okay so but it was work and he created whole universes so that's hard and and he got done with it and said that was good. That was good. And that's a gift to us. Like work is a gift to us to, to be a blessing for us. That's what we learn in creation. That is probably not what you experience Monday through Friday. Right? And that's because of this next part of the story. We only get the creation part for two chapters. Then we get to the next part, which is the fall. And what the fall teaches us is that work is cursed. Work is cursed. It's literally right there in the text. The first thing that gets cursed is the ground, right? The ground gets cursed. Your work is no longer as fruitful as it should be, as productive as it should be, as fulfilling as it should be. It's cursed. It's affected by sin just like we all are. And so just like so many other things in our world, work has become cursed. And so now we have this reality that our work is separated from God. We have a reality that says right now, like if you're at a hard time in your job and you just don't know what to do and I don't know what your job is, you're either running a company or you're trying to fix a car, but you're stuck, your mind probably doesn't go to, you know what, guys, let's circle up and pray and ask God to come give us wisdom because he cares and he's crazy smart, so he could probably help us, right? That's not where we go. No, we separate God from work. Work is work. God is God. I have my God time. That's normally Sundays. I have my work time. That's the other time. But God doesn't care, Right? about what I do. He, he definitely isn't an expert at it. It's just the way we kind of think. If it's not the way we think, it's definitely the way we act, such that you're weird if you're a CEO, one of the guys I've gotten to know over the last few years, a different guy, who it's become the norm in their staff meetings that when they don't know what to do, they stop and pray. Not all of them are believers. You can leave the room if you don't want to join in this time. But he's like, look, this is what I do when I don't know what to do. I stop and pray. We've been beating our head against this for weeks now. Let's stop and pray. That shouldn't be crazy for Christian people especially. But it is because work has been separated from God. 
that for somehow we've, we've thought either he doesn't care or he's not, what, smart enough to know exactly how to speak into your complex financial deal in San Antonio? Sure he is. Or he doesn't know how to fix your car that you've been trying to figure out what's wrong for the last two hours and you know the customer is ready for that car and you just can't figure it out, but God doesn't know? Sure he does. Like, he can help us in our work. He's the God who came and walked with them in the garden every afternoon as they were working, taking care of it. How's it going? What are you doing? Like, he can help, but that's been split from us because of sin. Obviously, the man-to-man relationship has been split. You think about work and you always think there's someone in power and someone that's not, right? Someone in authority and someone that's being used. It's just the way it works today, right? You're like, well, I'm going to get that job. It's going to be awesome. I mean, it's horrible to work there, but the pay is pretty good. The benefits are okay. Everyone I talk to is miserable, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to take the job uh, because, you know, because I need a paycheck. I mean, but we just like, that's just normal, right? I mean, everybody's miserable. So that's not like a factor in why I should do something or not do something is because it makes me miserable. Just that's the way work is, right? They're going to take advantage of me or I'm going to have to figure out how to, you know, sneak around the rules so that I can not let them take advantage of me. And and we've created this world where that's the norm. And that was one of the biggest shifts that happened in the CEO that runs the technology Internet company. When he started seeing himself as called to what he did, as set up by God to build God's kingdom, his employees became shocking people, right, who had families, marriages, maybe even kids. People who had dreams, guess what? Some of them, their dream might not be to work for him, right? Like, it wasn't like their whole life's ambition to be employee number 26, you know? And so as he, as he started caring for them, praying for them, he started asking them, what is your passion? Why do you think God put you here? Maybe it's to be a part of this company. Maybe it's not. If it's not, let me see if I can help. It's a whole different place to work now than it was then. And I asked him a couple of years ago as he was walking through this process, like, so what's a word you would describe, like what it's like now after you have this new way of thinking? Before it was just all about making money, right? Being profitable, being efficient, being effective, growing your business. Now you have all this other stuff. And he says, it's harder. It's harder. It's like it was way easier when it was just about money. And these people were just a part of my company. It's harder now, but he would never go back. Never go back because this is also life giving. He has found his place in building God's kingdom and it's inside this little company and all the little places that that comes out, right? And so that was broken with the curse. The other side is just the nature of work. And again, this shouldn't be too hard to understand is that the, the nature of where we, we actually don't get fulfilled by our job so much. So much of what we do isn't aligned with our passion. It isn't aligned with our gifting. It isn't aligned. And and that's been part of the brokenness. And some people live their whole lives never having their work connected to their passion and who God has made them to be. And that's because that is a curse that we live under. And that's what we find. But I want us to kind of jump ahead to the end, all right? So all the way to Revelation. See, it didn't take that long. We're in Revelation now, and we're going to see what work looks like. And I'm not like a Revelation expert, but there's some clear uh, understanding there as you get to the end that a couple of things are true. And the first is this, that that work has been restored when you get to the end. Work has been restored to us because it still exists, right? Two things kind of make that clear. The first is that we we are living in this city, and there's the stories in Revelation of people bringing things to God that they have created. There's still actual work being done where people are creating things that they then gift to God, right? And so 
there's this idea that, that work still exists in the end, which shouldn't be surprising to us if it's part of God's character because he never changes. So if God doesn't change, then work is going to be a part of whatever he's a part of because it's in his character. But it's a, it's a picture of work where everybody does what they love and were created for. And so it's a paradise because we're all working in the manner we're supposed to, in the place we're supposed to, for the people we're supposed to, in a way that we're supposed to, and it all works. That is an incredible picture of heaven to me. It's way different from clouds and harps and stuff, but I could get way more behind that, to be quite honest with you, of everyone doing what they were created for, and it all works. The other thing we see there is that we start in a garden, but where do we end? We end in the city-ish. I mean, it's a crazy-looking city if you just kind of read about it. I don't know. I've never seen a city like this. All I know is it's way bigger than any city we've dreamed up in our human creation. And, and it's a perfect city governed by God. You don't need government. You don't need police forces. You don't need educators. You don't even need pastors anymore. Um, all those jobs go away. All that's left is the people who actually build the city. And so that, that kind of blew my mind, to be quite honest. If you think about it, if God's taking us from a garden to a city, what is spiritual anymore? Is there this huge divide between spiritual work and secular work? Or do they start to come together? Because if God's intention is for us to be in a city and people are going to help get us there, then all of a sudden people like civil engineers become spiritual workers, right? Because you need a whole bunch of civil engineers to take a garden and turn it into a city. You need electricians. You need plumbers. You need people who love spreadsheets. Like, you need people who can do all kinds of stuff because you've got to have all that work to create that reality, And sure, it could all just poof, but that's not what God did once he put us here. He said, you, create my kingdom in partnership with me. Go, build. And so many times we think, oh, there's an earthly world like it had been created in Rome, and then there's the spiritual world that's totally different. It's a make-believe world. Honestly, if we're going to be honest, we think of the kingdom of heaven so many times as the make-believe world. One day we'll see it. It's not. These two were supposed to be one and the same. That you build a government that actually cares for its people. That you build health care providers that actually take care of the sick. That you build police officers and education systems and churches and neighborhoods that actually care for all of the people who live and work and play in them. That's the kingdom of God. It brings the two together. The physical that we see and the spiritual that's so hard to see. All together. And how would God do that? Well, maybe he would infect Millions of people with his very own spirit, his very own character, their own individual calling, and then send them out into those structures and systems and say, be who I've created you to be in each of these little places and redeem them. And that's the fourth part. That's where we find ourselves today. We have the creation, the fall at the end. Everything's going to be perfect. But where do we find ourselves today? We find ourselves in this part of Scripture. It's the biggest part of redemption. Where God says, here's my plan, guys. I'm going to come and fix your sin problem because you can't do it. You all know that you've messed up. That shouldn't be. I don't think anyone really argues that that they're perfect. But he says, I'm going to fix your imperfection with my son. And we're going to solve our relationship. And then I'm going to give you the power to work on your relationship with all the people around you. And we're going to go about redeeming this world. Redeeming the souls of men and women, certainly, but also redeeming the systems and structures that have been broken by sin. Sin doesn't just break people. 
It breaks whole systems, whole societies. It, it breaks so much more. And, and God is about redeeming people, certainly. But He's also about redeeming structures and systems and entire societies. Imagine if you could live in a city where the head of your police department loves God, fears Him, and wants to serve people. If like the head of your fire department has a heart for people that goes beyond just making sure they don't have fires and goes into wondering what's actually happening in their house. Can we serve them spiritually, relationally, emotionally, as well as keep them safe from fires? If your mayor and your city council and maybe even your school superintendent, like if these people actually love God and ask the question, what would God have me do in my job? And you wake up one day and realize we live in that kind of crazy wonderland here. That's true of Round Rock. It's true of a few communities in this area. It is not true of many cities that I've been a part of or talked to about the work we do. But it's a part of what God did when he said, I'm going to bring my kingdom into this place. He put people in specific positions. And you know what he did with each of you? He put you in specific positions. You probably don't all work in Round Rock. I would doubt that's true of this whole room. He spread you out a little bit. Some of you probably work in places where no one there thinks, man, how does this job bring about gospel change? Right? It's probably not a normal Monday morning conversation. But it's what God wants you to begin asking. How does what I do bring about the redemption of my industry? Whatever that is. That could impact the redemption of my city. Whatever it is. See, because... God has invited us all into that. You know, as I, as I was wrestling with this, again, just kind of personally, it's um, something that God uh, showed me was I, I've, I've lived in just, honestly, kind of a myopic existence. So I, I grew up uh, three years old. I went to my church. My church was very much like this. It was a church and a school. Uh, I went to both because my mom taught at it. My dad was on the finance committee. My parents were in the choir. Like, I don't know if you can picture like that life, but that means I was at the building of my school church six days out of seven for 10 to 12 hours a day my whole life, all right? So that's what I saw of the world. And then I became a pastor on top of that, right? That at age 14, I started saying, I love God. I want to kind of serve him. So everybody's like, oh, he should be a pastor. I started walking through this path, and that's been my my whole life until about 38 when I started meeting people who weren't pastors. Um, Come to find out they had a different view of the world um, and a little different life experience, all right? Um, and, and it's been awesome, honestly, uh, to see so different. But, but when I heard my friend talking about, like, you know, what does it mean to build God's kingdom? Like, well, it just means doing your job. Because that was my job, right? Like, I got paid to think about the kingdom of God. But what really started to hit me was, in my church of 2,000 people, guess how many of, of us were like me that were being raised up to be pastors? It's this many. Four. Four of us. So from 14, I started wrestling with questions like, well, gosh, God, if I follow you, does it mean I still get to drive the car I want to drive? Because I want to drive that BMW. I like it. It's it's a nice car. And uh, that's what I want to drive. What about the neighborhood I live in? Like, does it affect that? The city I live in, maybe? Um, The school I go to? Like, like, I don't know, God, that sounds like a whole lot of power I'm giving you all of a sudden over my life. And we need to think, we need to think that through. Um, And so, so we did for two years. We struggled over that. And I learned to hear God's voice. I learned to understand what submission looked like. I learned to trust him because he didn't just ruin my life, you know, and, and send me in a place that I hated. No, he started to show me that how he had created me 
is how he wanted to use me vocationally. And I started to see, crazy, that my spiritual giftings and my personal abilities and my vocational opportunities all started to line up. Not quickly, mind you. It was like a 14, 15-year process with a lot of ups and downs and a lot of hard times. I've been without any money at all, and I've had plenty of money. Like, I've, I've, I've been like this, not so much like this, you know. But what I've seen is that God has been faithful. And then what I realized was most of the people I grew up in church with never even went through that process, never even were told, hey, if you're going to be an engineer, you still need to go through this process. You still, you still need to wrestle with God for a couple of years to ask him, God, what do you want me to do with my life? What does it mean for me to submit to you? What does it mean for you to be in charge of my vocation? Let's just get clear on that. I don't understand. Let's, let's wrestle with that. All of us were meant to wrestle with that. I have a friend who did the same exact wrestling that I did. God sent him to, to uh, Hollywood to work with movie stars. That's what he did. He worked in movie stars. He tells stories about praying over Tom Cruise and stuff, you know, and all this. It's like I was there to be a part of this world, and he's really good at it. He's incredible with producing uh, actors. That's what he does. And uh, he's done a lot of things over his life, but that's where God sent him first. He thought he was going to be a pastor. But God's like, no, I want you to be in Hollywood working with these people. It's like, look, God will send us where he needs us to be, but the process is the key. And so I just want to kind of end up here, and this is the part that if you're the kind of person that this last part is all just kind of an intro, focus in here. Because these, these are the two minutes uh, that I really want us to kind of settle down with. And this is Ephesians 4. This has been just a chapter that's really um, affected my life a lot. But, but I want to kind of reclaim this idea of calling, because at least in my life, all of this stuff we're talking about is, like your, is, is called your calling. So pastors were always called, and everybody else just kind of attended. And what I want to change is this reality that in Scripture... All of us are called. All of us are called because we're called to relationship. And that's what we see in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 4. Let's just read this. Uh, you can read along here. It says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. I See, that, that sounds like a system where all of us, are on the same page. We're all on the same level. We all have the same call to the same God, the same Father who wants to be over all, through all, and in all, that he might use each of us to bring about the transformation of our community to look like his kingdom. And so we're all called to relationship with God, all of us. And then he goes on right after this to say that we all have a purpose to play, and so he has gifted us, for that vocation. He has gifted us for that call. So let's just read real quickly what it says next. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So many times it's just easy to think, oh, those are my spiritual gifts. That's what I use on Sunday when I teach children's church. You know, I use my spiritual gift. It's like, no, we are one person. My spiritual gift and my brain formation, and my heart passion, and my skills, like those are all part of the same person, meant to be used in my daily life. And that's what he's created in each one of you. That he has shaped you specifically to say, you are to be about this work of building my kingdom. And I've made you specifically for that. 
And guys, I know not everybody is at a place. It's so easy to think, man, that could never be me, right? Because I'm stuck in some job or I'm in some place where I can't even see the way out. And, And so I just want to remind you of a passage that comes right before Ephesians 4. And I love this because it's like Paul knew what people were going to say when he started to make this call out to them, when he started to say there could be a better world, a world where you see God's kingdom every day. What they're going to say is this, that's not possible. In fact, it's so not possible, I can't even imagine what it would look like. Like if I start to imagine it, I start to think that's just crazy. And I'm not crazy, so I'm not going to think crazy thoughts. Because right before this, at the end of Ephesians 3, he says, Now, unto the Lord who can do more than you can ask or imagine. Right? Who has all the power to do this by his spirit through us. Like that's the God we pray to. So many times we make that such a little verse talking about, we think it's talking about money or buildings or whatever. It's really not. It's talking about God's ability to reshape community. And he's like, you can't imagine that. I know that. It's, it's bigger than we think. Our, our natural is going to say it's not possible, God. So he says, okay, so pray to the God who can do more than you can imagine. Be honest with it. Say, God, I can't even imagine my workplace looking like your kingdom. Can't imagine it. I can't imagine me looking fulfilled every day. I can't imagine that. It's okay. He can. So pray to him and ask him. That's what I want to invite each of you guys to do today. And I'm going to uh, just ask if we would, let's stand now. We have, we have people who are going to come forward who are willing to pray with you because a lot of times it's easier to process these kind of things with people. And I would just encourage you as, as you think about uh, what we've spoken, just this idea of being called and just ask this question, have you responded to God's call? Because we've all received the same call, a call to relationship with God, right? And if you've responded to that call, have you wrestled with him, wrestled with him over what he has called you to vocationally and how you are a part of building his kingdom because he has that call for you too, to have a specific role to play, specifically how he's created you to be a part of changing this community. Amen. Let's pray together.